we went up to my grandma's house that night and we had to sleep in our clothes and we had to, we had, cause it was an empty house. It was just an old house. And um, we just had like put mattresses on the floor in case anybody shot through the windows, you know, or whatever, like you didn't want to be sitting up or anything. So it was just mattresses laid on the floors. And we went up there, like me, my mom and my brother and like a couple of cousins or I just kind of, you know, vaguely remember it. And we just, we were, we had to sleep in our clothes in case we need to run. Welcome to the show. You're listening to the Hope Radio Podcast. Stories, profiles, and interviews of courage, triumph, and perseverance. My name, my name is Sean Davis. I happen to be your humble host. And joining me as always, my co-host in life, my beautiful wife. Her name is... Just Jen. And you're along with us as we keep this hope train and moving on down the tracks. Choo-choo! We are hawkers of hope, originators of optimism, purveyors of positivity, engineers of encouragement. And Jen, what is that spell? Hope. That's what we're all about. All the hope. All the hope in the world. Yes. And this is going to be a hope-filled episode today. I can guarantee it. I'm excited. I'm excited, too. We get to talk to a friend. Who are we talking to? We're talking to Adina. <gasps> Adina? Yeah, she's uh, actually got a fascinating story. I'm going to get into that a little bit later, but, you know, fascinating she's, stories. I've been following her for a while on social media, and I have not ever talked to Adina. Really? So I'm super, super, super excited because she posts a lot of food. You like food. And she's into fitness. She is. And she likes mountains and she climbs and she does all the things that I do. I think her and Dave are twins with us. Okay. I was going to say no, me and her are twins, but all four of us are twins. Well, we're quadruplets. Dave doesn't have quite as much hair on his chin than I do. No. But, you know, he, but we do like climbing mountains. Together. No, but you know why? Why? Because I think he, no, he doesn't do hair, but he did do Adina's hair. During quarantine. Really? He colored it for her. Really? Yeah. You're going to let me do that for you? No. (laughs) But I was really like, I'm like, oh my gosh, he's really letting him do that. But yeah, so he's got talents. He doesn't have hair on his face though. Nope. And I, so I started growing this thing, this billy goat thing, this whole Mm -hmm. beard. Like this, is this weird for you? Yeah. It's getting longer, huh? Pandemic's making it longer. It's too long. What? I'll shave it. Jennifer. Yeah. Why do you say it's too long? Because it is. It's really too long. What it's, makes it too long? Well, you're starting to look like Duck Dynasty. What? Yeah, I'll I'll braid it or I'll shave it. You choose. <laughs> Braiding. You want me to French braid it? Yeah, I want to see what that looks like. Okay. Will you do it? I totally will do it. I want you to braid my beard. Oh my gosh, I have a rubber band right here. Okay, I want you to braid my beard and then paint my nails. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Can you color my eyebrows too? Yeah, you want me to pencil in your eyebrows? Yeah. Okay. Let's let's have I can a, do all the things. See? I can do things. You can't. I can never do, said you couldn't. I can do girly things. And see, I'm the chick. I'm wanting you to paint my nails, braid my hair, and and do my eyebrows. I've never done my own eyebrows, but I will uh, try on you first. Well, you know, we just, funny, we were just having this conversation yesterday. I said, I think my eyebrows are going away. They're turning, mm-hmm. I, I said, they're turning blonde. And you started cracking up, <laughs> laughing. She's all, it's not blonde. It's gray. 
And I'm like, what? Like you burst my bubble. Well, like I'm I hadn't thinking, thought that they're gray. When have you ever been blonde? Well, I don't know, but I was thinking <laughs> my eyebrows might have been. They're gray. Yeah, they were. They're fading. I almost. It sometimes looked like I don't even have any. I know it does, Jennifer. I you're did, not supposed to say that. I didn't notice until until you told me. Now you're noticing the only thing. Yeah, and now I want to like, um, what's that called? Microblade. Really? Yeah, it's a tattoo gun. We we have to get a tattoo. Gun. I don't have any tattoos. We talked about this. I know, but I'm gonna tattoo eyebrows on you. What? Yep. I don't like this. I can do it. No. I have faith in myself. No. I'm doing it. You have faith in yourself all you want, but my body, my choice. I will only charge $100. What? Yep. Why are you charging me? Because it costs money. Why does it cost you money? (laughs) Because I have to buy the stuff. (laughs) (laughs) You make me laugh. All right. Well, you know I'm down. Okay. I'm, I'm down for an adventure. I'm so excited. I know you can talk. I promise I will not put hearts in your eyes. Okay, is this going to go the same way that you cutting my hair went? <laughs> it could. I, I, but I promise there will be so no So Jen, Jen decided that she could give me like a haircut with some clippers one time. <laughs> and like one mistake later and my whole head was shaved because that was the only option after the one little mistake. But I gave a... Did you sneeze or laugh I, or did you do it on purpose? I gave a great shaven head haircut. Yeah. So here we are, like probably two decades since that's happened. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's be honest. Did you do it on purpose? No. You didn't? I was trying my look best. Look me in the eyes, Jen. I am. You I'm, look me in the eyes and tell me you didn't do it on purpose. I even have my glasses on. Because I ended on. up with a shaved head. I know, but I was trying my best. Really? Yes. Sometimes my best isn't good enough. <laughs> <laughs> that was a perfect example. Yeah. Well, let's- I'll I, do better next time. Well, I'm not- I'm a little nervous if you're going to touch my eyebrows. I'll, I got to tell you that. I'm just a little nervous because, you know, like nobody it, wants to be without eyebrows. Well, you'll have tattoos. No. On your eyes. I'm not. I'm just, <gasps> Post Malone. What? You can be, be like Post Malone. Are you going to put tears on my underneath my eyes no. and neck tattoos on Do me? you know tears mean like you murdered somebody or something? Uh, what? I don't know. That's what I've heard. I, I don't know. We, don't this, quote me on that this is a hope show we're not Let's talking talk about, about murder. Adina and how awesome she is well we gotta do joke time first and then we're gonna talk about Adina okay so you ready you ready I, for your funny you got your funny on no you got your yours food, you, you, you're supposed to have a food joke I do have a food joke what's your food joke you go first all right I'll go first here we go okay here we go the kangaroo mother got incredibly itchy around her belly she opened her pouch and yelled into it how often have I told you not to eat crunchy cookies in bed that's cute that's cute i wonder what kind of cookies they were you would wonder what kind of cookies they were which ones are crumbly well see i thought i was playing into your hand because it was kind of a food joke it was a food and animal joke and you love kangaroos i do love kangaroos i i told you they can be very aggressive and violent though not with me they're not they're not pets no they're my spirit animal what yes why is a kangaroo your spirit animal because we're the same why twinsies why because I want to be a kangaroo and I you have, just want to carry something I have in your pouch. pouch. <laughs> I have a pouch and I've carried four <laughs> four little kangaroos in my pouch. Well, you have really thought about it. You got really strong legs. I've got strong legs. And you yeah. got little arms. And you got little arms like T Rex. <laughs> yeah. I just you don't really. I just thought that was funny. And you didn't even skip a beat. No. When I said you had little arms. I don't, hey, it's all good. <laughs> 
I, I'm comfortable in my own skin. Yes, you are. Speaking of somebody that's comfortable in their own skin, we're going to have a fascinating conversation with our friend, Adina. And I think she's somebody that is absolutely comfortable in her own skin. But wait. What? I didn't get to tell my joke. Oh, I forgot about that. I want to tell my joke. Oh, I had all the funny, so you go. <laughs> yeah. Okay, are you ready for my joke? I'm ready for your joke. Okay. What did the tomato say to the other tomato? Um, You're looking pretty fine. No. What? You go on without me. I'll catch up. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love ketchup, but did you know ketchup has sugar? But G. Hughes has a sugar-free ketchup that is amazing. You with food again. I have facts. Food facts. You do. You have food (gasps) facts. We can do a whole show on food facts. That doesn't sound hope-filling. For people who love food, it is. Right? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe that could be a good show. It will be a good show. All right, let's talk about Adina, because I want to have her, I want to call her up, I want to get her on the line. So, Adina Hamulik. She is an immigrant. She's a first-generation immigrant. Came here from war-torn Bosnia. And uh, so Bosnia went through a civil war. Lots of violence, lots of killing, lots of unrest. Lots of people had to flee, get out of the area. And her and her family just have an incredible story of how they arrived in the United States, and uh, I just can't wait to talk with her. You know, I've heard uh, bits and pieces of it, but I want to dig into it and uh, really understand it, and I think it's going to help people have a little better perspective about what the plight of an immigrant Mm -hmm. is. You know, not not getting political, but just the idea of, you know, a a person without a home, a person without a country. Like, what do they do? Where do they go? Right. So uh, I want to call her. I want to get her online. Let's call her. All right, here we go. All right, I've got Adina Hemulik on the phone. Welcome to the show, Adina. How are you today? I'm so good. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're so thankful that you decided to join our little <laughs> podcast and come on and talk about your life. I know Jen and I are super excited to uh, have a chat with you. Yes, we you know are. we we we've been friends on uh, the whole Instagram and social media for a mm-hmm. while, but yet to have a chance to actually talk to you in person we're about like your life, hanging out. I know. It's cool. I know. I love it. It's like the best part, right? I know. We're going to have a friend on our podcast. I love it. It's the best day ever. Yeah. High five. (laughs) We're we're, we're done right there. I'm already hope filled. (laughs) No, she has lots to tell us. I know she does. Well, speaking of which, I just, you know, just for our listeners, why don't you tell us uh, where you live and uh, what you do for a living right now? Just a little basics about your current life and then... We'll jump into uh, some of your earlier life and uh, begin there. Okay, awesome. Yeah. So right now I am in Boise, Idaho. Um, I am a personal virtual trainer. So everything online, I help people with, you know, their fitness goals. um, And that kind of stems from my background of just competing in the fitness world and my passion for it. And then I'm also a certified ULA life coach. Mm. Um, I, I love what I do, and I just felt those two went hand in hand. And so that's what I do. I'm also a mom to a little boy. He's five and a half. We love the Northwest up here. We, we love hiking and being outdoors. And so when we find time, that's what we kind of like to do. We like to just get out 
and go on adventures. So we yeah. have we have nothing in common. You know, you and Dave <laughs> and Jen and I, we got nothing in common at all. We don't like to do any of that stuff. We have everything in common. I know. Except we don't have a five and a half year old, so maybe we should work on that. That's Jennifer. True. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Yeah. Jennifer, people ask us all the time, are we done? And I say, you know, physically, we've done nothing to ensure it. But emotionally, yes, we're done. Well, we got to be samesies. Samesies? Yeah. Well, so- then they got to have five kids. Okay. You got to end up with five kids. You you, you are much younger, so start working on four more. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm going to have to tell Dave. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine four more kids? Well, if you if oh you have no. what is it quadruplets? Quadruplets? Yes. Yes. You'd be quads. Done. Yes. Yeah. One one set of quads, there and you then go. You, then then you've arrived where we're at. Sending it out in the universe. One and done. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there you go. That's awesome. Well, I you know I wanted to have you on the show because you know you've got a very interesting background, and I think the background that you have is very current, you know, because you immigrated to the United States. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your childhood, where you were actually born, where you lived, and, you know, let's unpack maybe the first 10, 12 years of your life and and what you dealt with and what you saw, what you witnessed, and, and what you experienced. Yeah, so I was actually born in Bosnia, um, and a lot of people usually think Boston, what? You know, and it's Bosnia, it's actually <laughs> in Europe, and it's squished right in between like Croatia, which is on the Mediterranean Sea, right across from Italy. So now you can actually find it on the map. So yes, it's right across yes. from Italy. And so it goes Croatia on the coastline and then Bosnia is kind of squished in the middle there. It actually, a lot of people will know this, um, it's ex-Yugoslavia. So a lot of people know oh. that country as Yugoslavia when it was several countries put together and now they've all, you know, kind of gained their independence. Um, but I was born there and when I was about six, Yes, I turned six, and that's when our country started, you know, going through war. And so I kind of watched it for, like, probably several months. I mean, I, I have crazy memories that my mom sometimes is like, well, how do you remember that, you know? But I think it's because it was, like, a trauma thing. Mm-hmm. For me especially, it just kind of stands out certain things, too. And so I'll never forget just kind of standing on our front steps of our home, watching my parents kind of like pack random things so that we can go to my grandma's house that was more in the mountains because they're like, oh, we heard they're going to attack here, down here first. And I'm just kind of like, you know, as a six-year-old, I'm like, what are these adults like talking about? This is all going to, they're just like dramatic. This is all going to be over because, you know, as a kid, you're like, you have this, I mean, I had a happy life until then. I you know, played with my cousins. We, we lived in a village in Bosnia that was right next to the river. And, you know, so it was kind of like where I live now, you know, just outdoorsy and stuff like that. It was very happy memories. Um, a great, a great place to but, grow up, a great place to be a kid, right. a great place to you right. know have those formative years. And as a six-year-old, you're not thinking about the gravity no. of, of war <laughs> and, you know, what's going on now for, for our listeners. Was it, a, was it a civil war or were you guys being attacked? Yeah, so it was actually a civil war to understand Bosnia. You know, there's three different religions. And so there's the Bosnian Muslims. Um, of course, there's also the Bosnian Serbs, but just the three religions. So let's just say there were the Muslims, the Catholics, and then the Christian Orthodox. Mm-hmm. And forever and ever and ever, I mean, this is so deeply rooted, right, um, that it's just they, those guys have always fought. And because Bosnia was trying to gain its independence, so, you know, when the when it was Yugoslavia, we had one president. Well, that when that president unexpectedly died is really when all these countries kind of started being like, well, we want to be on our own and et cetera. So 
you know, everybody was trying to gain their independence. And then the offenders were the Serbs, <laughs> unfortunately. And, and so they, you know, they just had an agenda and they started to want ethnically cleanse both the Muslim and the Catholic population. And so that's how it all started. It was just very, you know, now that I'm an adult, obviously I've read on it and educated myself, but it was very systematic. So your parents were, the big, the bigger the city, the more congestion, the more violence. Let's get to the country. Right. Let's get outside of the right. major urban centers. Maybe we'll be safer there and maybe this will kind of blow over. Right. And, you know, actually, man, it's really hard to um, explain because my city where I'm from, which is the northern part of Bosnia, is actually where it all started. This is where the war broke out. Um, and so they're still to this day digging up mass graves. Really, we were not in the city center. We were actually in the villages. And that's, they actually started, Bosnia is so tiny on the map. And so when you go to Bosnia, there's just these kind of tiny villages. And so we're, you know, going to my grandma's house up in the hills is really nothing. It's like you climb up this little hill and you're like in the mountains you know, like kind of hilly area of yeah. the village. You yeah, know? Yeah. So it's very small. I just want to like, if you can picture it, just very small, nothing crazy. And, you know, now in, in hindsight, it's like, yeah, that wasn't going to save us at all, you know? So yeah. it's like, but, you know, you kind of, in a situation like that, I think you just, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what my parents were young. I mean, heck, they were like 29, 30. So they were like me five years ago, you know? So can you imagine with these two small children at like, you just yeah. barely started living your life, having to figure out like, What's happening? And I don't think people understood the atrocities that were going to happen and how they, you know, how the killing was going to actually happen because it was just crazy. So it was just, yeah. So, so I mean, um, literally, yeah. you got you got you got Muslims fighting Catholics, fighting Christians, Christians fighting Catholics, fighting Muslims. I mean, it's it's all this. But you're basically this was a quest for power, for recognition, for dominance. And the way that that happened was we're we're just going to fight each other. And then here's your family. Forget about the job, forget about the property, forget about all, all the things that we care about in the States right now, all the things that we fixate on. It's just literally grab your kids and right. get out of the area. Correct. Yep, it was. Yeah. That, and, and really, that actually, that part actually happened when we realized there is no safe, you know, like we actually, we went up to my grandma's house that night and we had to sleep in our clothes. And we had to, we had, cause it was an empty house. It was just an old house. And um, we just had like put mattresses on the floor in case anybody shot through the windows, you know, or whatever, like you didn't want to be sitting up or anything. So it was just mattresses laid on the floors. And we went up there, like me, my mom and my brother and like a couple of cousins or I just kind of, you know, vaguely remember it. And we just, we were, we had to sleep in our clothes in case we need to run yeah. basically. And so I do remember that just kind of, yeah, spending the night there like that. And then the next thing I remember is just boarding a bus, just me, my mom and brother, because no men were allowed. I mean, given some men did escape, but no men were allowed to leave the country. And because both my parents were, again, very small country, very small. Like if you lived in, in a certain city, everybody knows everybody. But both my parents, you know, they worked at the hospital. So people knew them. I mean, a lot of people knew them. So my dad didn't want to risk it. My dad, my dad stayed behind. And again, they had no idea what was coming. So that's the, that's just the next thing I remember is just boarding a bus. My mom, I think, literally just had her purse and maybe one small bag with our belongings. That was it. So you guys had to board a bus with your mom and your dad was left behind because the men couldn't leave. Who, who who controlled whether men left or not? Like how, how was there any unification of any type of government at that time? You know? Yeah. So, you know, it's just so, I mean, it's just, who knows what was going on at that time, you know? Right. But 
um, the Serbs really controlled everything. So when I said systematic, that means that they disarmed everybody. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't really the, I mean, the Bosnians even, or the Catholics trying to find back. They really couldn't because what, you didn't have any guns. So they pretty much disarmed. Like Bosnia at that time didn't have its own army because, again, it was a Yugoslavia and nobody really, you know, Nobody really thought, like, it's such a small country. Like, oh, we need an army for what? You know, I mean, it was a yeah. great country. It was very peaceful for a long time. People could travel. People could, you know, everything was great. Um, and so it was very much, like, systemic. Like, nobody had weapons. And so the Serbs were really the aggressors. Um, and they controlled everything. So, um, you know, they, w- they were already, like, set up on the borders and checking. You know, so, I mean, it was just... Wow. It was like, you know, you could risk your life if you want to escape and then, you know, end up either way. My dad did end up in a concentration camp for almost a year and not just one, actually several. But Wow. And, you know, I don't, I don't think anybody has any type of perspective for what that might feel like or what that might um, what you might see, what you might witness, what you might experience. I mean, here you are six years old and all of a sudden your life turns upside down in a moment. And you find yourself in a situation over a period of days where you're you know, in essence, fleeing for your life with your mom on a bus, leaving your dad behind and whatever's going to happen is going to happen kind of a thing. Right. Right. Exactly. So, um, so where did you guys end up busing to? Like what, what happened with the bus and where did you go? Right. So, okay. So then the next thing I remember is we actually stopped for a couple of days in, I believe it was Macedonia because we had a cousin there. Um, and, we were actually on our way to Croatia because what had happened is that the Serbian forces tried to attack Croatia first because Croatia was also trying to gain its independence and they really, but Croatia had its own army. So they were able to defend. So really not much. I mean, Croatia just had a little bit of a war, like on their borders. That's it. Um, and then that's when the Serbs turned their attention onto, you know, the Bosnian people um, and the Muslim population in particular. Um, so we spent like a couple days in Macedonia and then we were on our way to Croatia where I actually had an uncle and, uh, you know, again, without going into too much detail, but he, he actually lived pretty much his whole life since he was like 18 in Croatia. And he had kind of like what we have here in the States today, like a, uh, like a person that sponsors you or like a family that kind of sponsors you. So he actually had lived with this lady who was a Croatian lady who kind of took him in. Um, she lost a son when he was really young. So she kind of almost adopted my uncle. Um, and it was just such, it's so funny when you think about all these things that how they work in our lives, because she was really our saving grace. And so was my uncle there because that's who we lived with, um, in Croatia for, you know, until we, I mean, I don't know, I guess figured out, like, are we going back home? What's happening? Um, but we really also had no idea what was happening with my dad because for the first two or three months, nobody would tell my mom that my dad actually was in a concentration camp. So they were kind of trying to hide it from her, I think, with the hopes of, oh, this is all going to be over soon. It'll be fine. We don't want to worry her. Um, But then we actually did find out, you know, they did tell my mom. um, And then, yeah, that was almost, I mean, I started first grade there because I I was like, I was supposed to start first grade back home, but obviously this whole thing happened. Um, And I actually started school and we were just kind of waiting, you know, just kind of waiting to see what's going to happen with the dad. And so that was almost a year then. And Um, I I would imagine that when you hear your your father's in a concentration camp in the midst of a war-torn country, that that would seem like a death sentence. It would seem like 
like the worst possible case scenario because that's not where anybody would want to be. So I, I would imagine that the whole right. time you're just wondering if you're ever going to see your father again. Right. Um, for, for us, you know, as a kid, I don't, I don't, because I don't remember necessarily worrying about it so much is that I, I mean, obviously probably just didn't comprehend. I mean, that's mm-hmm. like my little guy, he's almost six. So, yeah, he'd probably be like, oh, okay, let me go play with my toys now. Yeah. So we, you know, for us, I remember, you know, playing with my brother and just kind of going to school, going to the park and playing with the other kids. So really, I didn't really like know. Like I, I knew that it was oh something bad. But I think as a kid, you, you because you don't know, obviously, all the atrocities that people can do to each other. Yeah. Um, I don't think that, ever, you know, that didn't cross my mind. I just figured, okay, like we're just going to be here and then dad's going to come and we're all going to be together. I mean, thankfully, that did happen. But as a kid, I, I wasn't really thinking um, about that at all. So, so he was in a concentration yeah. camp for a year, and then you guys, how long did you stay in Croatia before you moved on? So we, so he was in a concentration camp about nine months, if I remember correctly. And then because what actually happened is that, um, I mean, obviously nobody knew that this was happening um, in, in Bosnia, right? So when, when the rest of the world finally kind of caught on, of course, like the politicians and stuff like that, the Red Cross actually came in and started, they actually came into the region and into the camp and they started registering people, which means they started um, keeping track, like they started writing down names of the prisoners because this was, this made it harder for the army to kind of execute people, which they had already killed a bunch of people. That's why they're still, like I have family members that have never been found because we have no idea what happened to them. Um, but the Red Cross, once they started keeping record, it was much, you know, you actually would have a record of, okay, like so-and-so was in this camp and maybe, you know, maybe they died because of hunger or whatever, but at least you could keep track of these people. Before then, people, I mean, so many people had already been executed and murdered. And I mean, you know, again, just the, the craziest possible thing you could think of, right? Um, and so my dad, again, was lucky enough. My dad actually was called out in, onto a firing squad to be executed. Oh. And um, he had a, because my dad worked in the emergency room in our city. So again, a lot of people knew him. Um, Some guy, some Serbian guy that he used to work with, I guess, recognized him. And I I guess if you want to say save him or whatever, but Mm -hmm. basically called him out of the lineup. Um, So I am grateful for that. But um, I just, I just don't think, you know, I sit here and I, and my, (laughs) and my jaw is just, you know, uh, a gape thinking about yeah. <laughs> just, you know, like you stated that you got some family members that you have no idea what happened to them. I mean, I just think about the States, yeah. like people can't just Mm-mm. vanish and have no trait, you know, people do. I'm not saying that, but it's like, we know about right. it, but imagine somebody being gone and there's like just no record of it at all. Like there's just no yeah. acknowledgement. You just, you just, you don't know if they escaped. I mean, you could spend years wondering what happened to, you know, my cousin, gym or whatever you know right right exactly so um so yeah so that's kind of what what happened and so my dad you know obviously got on the list with the red cross and that's actually how that also allowed for family to send care packages you know just very basic there's i mean again the army would have gone through these right so you can't really send like anything crazy just maybe basic necessities like obviously food items but I actually remember, I don't know, like maybe when I was in high school, still reading the, the letters that my parents were able to send to each other through the Red Cross. And, you know, see, now I'm going to get emotional. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
But um, it's okay. Yeah, you know, just kind of like you know, I love you, and you know, hard mm-hmm. kids. You know, just I mean, yeah. he was obviously in a camp, and so just I found these letters because actually I was looking for a document, um, like a birth certificate or something, and. My parents didn't know I, I, you know, read these. And so I was just sitting there on their bed, like crying, you know, and Mm. so because it hit me, I mean, I was already older, obviously, I was in high school. Mm. But I'm so grateful for the Red Cross, obviously, too, because that's, that's how they also started arranging then um, how these prisoners and families like that's when really a lot of countries opened up their borders, because there was this war, and, you know, people saw the atrocities. And so actually, a lot of places opened up their borders for these prisoners to be able to then come after they were released with their families. Um, and because we actually had, um, it wasn't uncommon for people from Bosnia to have work in Germany. So I actually had an uncle who pretty much worked his whole life in Germany. Um, and so he had citizenship in Germany. My dad loved Germany. Just kind of growing up, he knew the German language. He studied in school and you know, he, I mean, he did a lot of traveling like to Switzerland and Germany and stuff like that. So um, that's actually where he chose to go because, you know, we had family. So it's always easier when you have family that can help you out. Um, and so that was once he was released um, and we, you know, learned of this, we took a bus. He was released somewhere in Croatia um, and it was like a couple hour bus ride. And we, again, I'll never forget this. We got on a bus and we drove up and then we you know, there was a ton of prisoners. I mean, this was just like, just like almost like a warehouse building. And I remember we're like, okay, let's, you know, we got there and we're like, okay, let's go use the restroom. And, you know, when you're a little kid and like your mom, I was pretty independent early on. And I think maybe just because I kind of had to be, but my mom's like, okay, stay here. I'm going to use the restroom and I'll never forget. So I'm just kind of like standing there and I'm facing the door and you can kind of see out. And I saw this man walk by and look at me and look back. And that was my dad. But he, I don't know if he just like maybe didn't recognize me or it was kind of far. But I just like my brother was there and I said, hold mom's purse. I just saw that and I'll never forget. Mm. Again, I'm going to get emotional. I don't don't talk about this obviously very often. But I just remember running down that hallway screaming, Daddy, you know. and um, yeah. you, so, you got Jen teary-eyed. You got me teary-eyed. You know, we just imagine. Just just imagine, you know. Imagine the feeling that he yeah. had, too, yeah. seeing his daughter. Right. You know, going from being yeah. on a firing squad, almost facing your death, mm-hmm. to now seeing your daughter and, and being out of that situation for the first time after, after a year. You know, you just, you just, there's nothing else in the world that would matter Mm -mm. in that moment. That that's the purest moment of love you can imagine. Right. And, um, yeah, so I just ran into his arms and so that was our re, you know, that's when we got reunited and, um, we, yeah, we spent, I think a day or two because it was kind of a process, you know, to get the prisoners out of there, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, yeah, so then we spent, Again, I don't know, these these are all estimations, um, about probably, I think, another two to three months just to, you know, get everything obviously ready to move to Germany. I mean, obviously, you know, the paperwork that goes along with that and all of that to enter the country. Um, and that's it. So then once we moved to Germany, we spent five and a half years in Germany before moving to the USA. And um, that was up until I was uh, almost 13 years old. And that is when we had to move. So. And how was your time in Germany? I mean, what what was that like? Um, I loved Germany, you know, and Germany, I, I like to preface it with Germany today is a lot different because they actually, um, and the reason I say that is because 
this is that's that's the country that we actually did experience racism in um because you know both my parents being obviously medically educated um my dad was not allowed to have a job because basically he was told you're not going to get a job because you're an immigrant and my mom had to clean home for five and a half years because nobody would give her a job but there was no other way to make money so my mom had to you know clean homes um and so that's one i as a kid loved it of course again you're a kid i went to school i learned another language i you know played with my friends there was a lot of bosnian kids there too of course um actually was it's very common for the bosnians to have went to germany and then either went and then from there they kind of went because germany actually did not allow for a citizenship again germany today is very different because i actually have cousins who bosnia is still a very corrupt country i mean you just it's very hard it never really recovered Um, have you ever been back i have actually been back two times and i have to say that because of what i experienced i just i have fear i have Mm. like this really big fear towards it and as much as you know i do of course i want to travel there and i want to you know see the country because it is very beautiful it's very you know has a, a lot of nature it's very mountainous and everything it's beautiful um, but just because of that, what happened, I just have a lot of fear and anxiety towards it. So, yeah, um, I can I, imagine. You know, um, now, yeah. Did so, you get, did you guys not stay in Germany just because there was just, if you couldn't, if you couldn't become a citizen, there was just no opportunities at all. Right. Um, and no, actually they were basically kicking us out because they're like, you can't stay here permanently and we're not willing to give you citizenship. And so this was in 98 and basically they were saying the war in your country is over. So you need to go back. And we're like, uh, first of all, the war was not over. Um, they had barely signed like this treaty, but things were still going on and there was no way that we were, you know, we could go back safely. I mean, you know, like to go back and be like, okay, you know, like we're free, we're fine. Like no way. And my dad knew that. And, um, so we, we try to figure out what to do. And so after five and a half years, so after pretty much five years, and it took us another half a year, um, to kind of get everything ready to move to the state. And we actually, my brothers, my dad's brother lives in Sweden, but Sweden wasn't necessarily really accepting like people anymore, so to say. And so there was nowhere for us to get there, I guess, legally, so to say, right? Because again, if you get caught crossing borders, you basically are sent back to your country. And, you know, my parents were not willing to risk that. So given we did have another option. So because, you know, this is the topic of today. I mean, I think when you are desperate, I think you probably just do what you need to do. I think you take your chances. And I almost wonder if we didn't have this other opportunity, which was the USA, if my dad would have just done it, because I, I don't know what else we would have done. Yeah. Like you go back to your country and risk getting killed again. Yeah. No. <laughs> or you know what's do so, you try to cross the border? You know what's yeah. so crazy about what you're saying is like it, it gives a whole nother dimension to homeless. It gives another, right. like, like I can't imagine not having a home, but like not having a country as a home. Right. Like that to me is, you know, can't go back home. Germany won't let us. You're getting kicked out. Like, I mean, that's a whole nother dimension. Right. And and really at that time, actually, um, there was a Serbian family living in our home claiming it as their own. So we really actually couldn't, like we had nowhere to go, really. And, um, you know, my grandma at the time was kind of trying to fight this family to get them. I mean, as crazy as it sounds, right? 
Um, like, can you imagine someone just moving into your property and being like, nope, it's mine. Sorry. Like, what? <laughs> like, no. Yeah. So my grandma actually had to take these people to court to try to get them out of our house. But this was years later. So, but we really actually had no house to go back to because these, the Serbian family was occupying our house. And so, um, we had an aunt again. I just, I thank God every day. I mean, I'm so grateful. And this is part of my gratitude. Um, when I look back on my life and how everything worked out, um, we had an aunt who they, her family had escaped to Spain somehow, Spain, and then they came to the U.S. And they actually, she's my dad's first cousin. And they actually had sent us then really, she was talking to my dad too. And she's like, come to the U.S. You can come here. They're allowing like, you know, right now it's a lot more strict, but back then you could bring over like a cousin, a first cousin, whatever. So it was a lot more relaxed, I think, because of the situation. And um, I remember my parents, talk, you know, I was, uh, I, by that time I got a lot more curious because obviously things were, had already, so many things had happened. So I remember overhearing a conversation as a little kid. So I was, so I was like 11 or 12 already. And there, you know, I remember my dad being like, I don't know if, if they catch us going into Sweden. Cause obviously my dad wanted to be with his brother, yeah. but you know, he's like, if they catch us, they're going to send us back to Bosnia. We're not going to be able to like go anywhere. I don't know what we're going to do. We have nowhere to, you know, just kind of like we have nowhere to go and you know, now, or we can go to the USA. And, you know, I just kind of remember that conversation. And then of course they decided for the USA because we could legally come here and it was, you know, just safer. And we still had family here. And so the process began. And so that's kind of how it all started. You know, the doctor visits and just like, you know, you had to get your health checked, et cetera, and just get everything ready to move. And so all, the, all of a sudden you're moving to a completely, <laughs> I mean, this is now your third major country. Yeah, country <laughs> yes. that you're living in. Now, did you speak the language? Did you speak English when, when you were 12? So, no, but we had started learning it. So I was, I had started six great in Germany and that is when you start learning another language mm. and so I was 12 when I started learning English but I mean nothing nothing you know it's very hard to learn a language in a classroom um, and so you know and the English we were learning was the England English so from like with like the accent and everything you know so it was very when I when I came here I'm like that is not high, like cinema what's a cinema <laughs> You go to the movies. What, you know, nobody understands what you're saying. So it was very interesting. You know, it's funny. But no, I mean, I didn't. I knew like basic words. You know, like "Hi, my name is" or "How are you?" You know, just yeah. stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. It was very basic because we had barely started learning it in school. Um, so no, I pretty much I was when we moved here. I was in ESL class, which is English as a second language. Mm. Um, and um, it didn't take long. I mean, I always say kids, you know, kids are so smart and kids, they absorb a lot, you know, and a lot quicker than adults, obviously. So by the next year, because I entered seventh grade and by eighth grade, I was already in advanced English class. So it's, you know, it goes pretty fast for, for when you're younger. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of Bosnian kids, obviously, in the ESL class. It's, it's nice because you're there with other kids that don't know the language. So, you know, you can relate. And yeah. so that was good. So did you did you yeah. know that this was where you were going to be staying? I mean, was was it was this were you always on guard? Like, where am I going to go next? Or did, was it clear that you were here in the States to stay? Yeah, I think by that time, you know, wow, I, uh, you're making me think, you know, and dig deep here <laughs> because I'm like, okay, what did that feel like? Um, no, I think by that time it was pretty clear we are not going back home. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So there, I, so there was, was really no worry sad. that where's the next, you know, because like both Jen and I had a very transient childhood in the first 10 years of our life. Like we moved around a lot right. and, I, and I know how being the new kid and arriving somewhere else and not having any friends and, you know, there's anxiety that can, that can be part of that, you know, like here we go again. And I just, I guess I'm wondering if you, if you knew that you could plant roots, like if you knew that you were going right. to stay, I think that that, that relieves some of that anxiety, at least you're, you know, you're in the United States and what, what, a, what was that like? I mean, U S did you like the idea of going to the U S did you, was that like, Oh my gosh, we're going to the U S or was it like, how did you process that? You know, um, I, it was, it was hard because, you know, you're leaving all your friends. So now I'm already a little, like I'm preteen and I've already made friends for these last five years of my life. Um, because Croatia was, you know, it was pretty quick. It was just a year and you really, I mean, I really didn't make right. Like friends that I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to miss you. You just, Mm -hmm. we just kind of up and left. But in Germany, it was a lot harder. Although all of my friends were like, what you're going to the USA, you're lying. And I'm like, no, we are. And I was kind of sad. They were like, you're such a liar. Like they were more excited. Like they wanted to go. And I, I think it was mixed feelings. Like I, you know, was excited, but also kind of like, what the heck, you know, like we have to leave again, but also kind of, you can't really complain because it's just what you have to, it's just what we had to do. We had no other choice. Yeah. Given the circumstances and the gravity of the situations you've already experienced, I think you'd handle that differently than somebody just deciding, you know, you'd be like somebody living in the States right now, whose dad has a job that now is in Germany and all of a sudden they're just going to pick up and leave. Like it's a completely different set of circumstances that frame the leaving, you know, so it's coming here, I think is, uh, you know, I, I get what you're saying about that. And so, uh, once you were in the States, uh, what was like the biggest culture shock to you? Like what was the biggest surprise to you, uh, arriving here in the States? I think just how big everything was (laughs) like so spread out. And I actually didn't like it because in Germany, you have to understand it's, you know, it's Europe, it's, small there's a lot of history everything's quaint and you know just like just kind of what you see on pictures like Mm -hmm. that's how we grew up you know like we played outside until dark we walked anywhere by ourselves as you know eight nine year olds and um here it was just very different like a lot of streets and cars and because over there like you took the bus you just we walked to school every morning even when if it was dark during the winter you know there's just like not a worry and when we moved here, oh my gosh, I, it's almost like my parents turned so strict because. You know, and where, and where did you land like, when you moved here? Like, where, where, where did you live? Well, the Bay Area, San Jose, yeah. California. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, like right, right, right in the yeah. middle of California. Right in the middle of California. And I, I absolutely hated it because it was just, it was, you know, just buildings. It was nothing like Germany. Mm-hmm. It was nothing, you know, and as a kid, I was just like, it was just very overwhelming. And I was, I was pretty sad. I, I, you know, but it's like, what do you do? You just, you have to do it. Yep. You have to do it. You have to go to school. You have to learn this language. You have, you just have to do it mm-hmm. because it's your life right now. You know, you're surviving. You have to survive. So that's kind of what I've known. That's like, you just, we, this is what we have to do. This is our life. So you're so. the first generation immigrant that I've ever talked to and on the podcast. And so I, I guess part of the thing that intrigued me about, hearing your story and having you on the podcast is just how you feel 
having benefited from this great country, you know, being able to move here and, and not worry about your safety in the physical sense of, you know, being in a war-torn country again, et cetera, in a country that would accept you. But, you know, I think this whole topic of immigration is is such a hot topic right now. And not the, not the political side of it. I just want to talk about the real world, like how do you view this country now, uh, given that it's been a place that your family could come and, and not have to worry about, War, but I'd, I'd be interested to see or hear what they think about what's happening in the states right now relative to immigration, too. Yeah, you know, I love this country. I, you know, for me personally, I am no matter where I travel, it's always nice to come back home. We are all citizens now. You know, after five years, you can apply for citizenship, and we did. And so that was a while ago. It's been over 20 years now that we've been here. And no matter where I go, it's so nice to travel and see the world, of course. But I'm always happy to come back here, especially as a woman. There's there's no rights or laws like there are here. Mm-hmm. And so I will forever be grateful for this country, you know, for accepting us, for letting us come here, um, for me able to have a life and to, you know, for the opportunities. Of course, my parents, of course, have worked hard. And so, you know, I have to give a lot of the credit to my parents because I have never once heard my parents complain they just did it they just did what they had to I mean when we first moved here my mom again picked up and cleaned homes my dad was a grocery bagger at Albertsons now they're both back at their own jobs working in the hospital you know they had to go back to school which is you know uh, again at 30 so at 30 they had to both learn well my dad knew German my mom didn't so she had to learn that and then at 36 they had to learn another language and, and then go back to school to get, um, cr- you know, like kind of recertify um, because, of course, things are so much different in these hospitals here, of course, in the U.S. So they did that process and they're both back now at their, you know, doing what they, of course, love. And so were, were, you, were, you, were mom and dad, were, what, what were their occupations in in um, Croatia? Or, I mean, in Bosnia. Bosnia. Yeah, like, uh, were so they physicians mom, or nurses or what? So, my mom is a phlebotomist, which is, she works in the lab, so she's the person who draws your blood. Mm. <laughs> and my dad was an ER nurse, so to say, like an EMT here is what it translates to. So, but he doesn't do that here anymore because it was, it, by the time he was ready to kind of go back to school and everything, he just didn't want to go. It's, it's a pretty lengthy process. And so he actually just does what my mom does now. He does also work in the lab. That's just that's just crazy. I was going to say, not only do you have to learn a new language, but you have to learn the medical nomenclature for the new language, yeah. too. Right. It's not like, where's the bathroom? Or I want to eat? Or right. where can I find food? You know, like femur in the U.S. is a different yeah. word in Germany right. versus in Bosnia. So, like, just just the, the power of the of the have to, like, you just got to. Yeah. Like, you just yeah. can't. Right. You just got to figure it out. There's like no you just, other option. Yeah, like, th- there's it. a purity right. in that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at, 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 you just got to rise. Yep. Like, there's no other, there's no other choice. Mm-hmm. You know, I I I, right. I I love it, but I would never want the circumstances under which it, it creates right. that kind of a right. situation, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, relative to immigration now, like when you look at what's happening in, in the country and, and potentially closing the borders and, and things like that, like does it remind you of some of these other countries that you were turned away from? Does it remind you of you know, some of that uh, trauma that you experienced in your in your early years? Yeah, I mean, it does, of course. And 
my heart goes out to all the families. And I think, you know, um, it's just, it's so hard for us um, here. America is so big. We're such a huge country. And so it's really hard for us. Like it's hard for people to even comprehend, for example, our country has been at war with other countries. And for me, that's so different than let's say some of my American friends, because I'm like, no dude, we're at war. Like our Mm -hmm. soldiers are over there fighting and they're dying. And how do their parents feel? And you know, a lot of people here are just like, yeah, we're at war. Yep we're fighting over there and so you you can't even feel it whereas you know it's such a big deal you know yeah and so for, like you, you know of, what war is like you've seen it you've yeah. seen atrocities you've seen and or right. witnessed your family has been through excruciating pain at the hands of quote-unquote war it just seems like this distant right. thing that nobody touches especially if you haven't been there right. but for those that have been there they know how significant it is Right. And so, you know, same thing with immigration. It's I, I just, I don't know what we would have done. Like, I don't know what we would have done if, you know, the USA wasn't an option or we didn't have a family member here or, um, you know, I, I just, I don't know because, you know, I just don't know. So it's just, it's really hard. I think there, you know, personally, I feel like there's other ways to go about it. Um, I, you know, people, we're all people. We all want to live. We all want to survive. We all want to be happy. Like at the end, when you really look at, at the bottom line, what do like, we're all people, mm-hmm. like we all live on this earth and we all just want a life. Like we all just want to live and raise our family, raise our children, just, you know, eat obviously, which we all have to, um, we all want that. Like we all have that in common. And so I just, I'm again, like all I can say is I'm so grateful for all of the people that have really helped my family and stood up for you know, maybe, hey, let's let these people come to our country and let's help them out and let's put them on welfare and help them and et cetera, et cetera, you know? And it's, I just, uh, there's just not one answer, you know? there's It's not as easy as let's just close the borders because it's like, no, let's, we can't, you know, people, I mean, you, you look at, well, why would someone pick up their kids and do this illegally? And well, I, w- I just want to be like, what would you do if you were completely desperate? You had no other choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where you, you where you didn't. Would you? Yeah. Yeah. Would you take the chance or yeah. would you just be, I mean, I'm just thinking like of myself, like, let's say something happens. I'm just saying, let's say something happens to, in this country mm-hmm. tomorrow. Mm-hmm. What, what would all of, all of us do? We would try to think and escape from here. Yeah. I'll tell you that. Yes. So I'm just yeah. saying like. What would we, would we try to go to Canada? What if Canada's like, sorry, nope, our borders are close to you. Sorry, no. And Europe right now is close to all of us because of this dang pandemic. What would you, where would you go? So I just, it's like you would beg, you would hope that someone would say, okay, come over here and we're Mm -hmm. going to protect you and we're going to feed you and we're going to give you, you know, it's like my, my family was on welfare when we first moved here, I think for only maybe three months because my parents, you know, got jobs right away. I mean, again, this is why my parents, I mean, I bow down to them mm-hmm. because I've never seen or heard them complain. They just did it. And I guess that's my thing. Just do it. That's why I don't mm-hmm. really have yeah. a lot of patience for complaining. Because it's like, just do it. <laughs> you, you and Jen um, are simpatico oh that way. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I feel you there. I don't complain a lot, but every once in a while when I do complain, she slaps me across my face. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. You probably deal with this because you're a trainer as well. So do you ever have clients that complain and whine and don't show up? And how do you deal with that? Yeah, I, you know, I have, and I I actually just only once, but Mm -hmm. I actually did have to fire a client. Exactly. (laughs) I just couldn't do it anymore. I I give them three strikes. Yep. 
I give yeah. him three tries, yeah. and the third so. one, I'm like, I'm just so done with you, and we're just not going to do this anymore. So even, right. even yeah. with, my, with my own so. kids, too. With my own kids, if they yeah. if they get three strikes, too. I have one boy right now that's on strike, too, so he's getting close. Right. <laughs> and no, yes, for, know, for right? everybody <laughs> that's listening, she gives me three strikes, too. Yeah. I can't remember if I'm on strike number well, one just, or number two. I but. just feel like I can't want it more than you. Like, yeah. you have to want it. Yeah. And I'm not going to like, right. you know, you're not going to just get it because I'm going to help you. Like, you need to want it and show me that you want it. Like, right. be here, show up, don't flake on me and do what I say. End of story. Right. 100%. <laughs> the power yeah. of women born out of adversity. That's <laughs> yeah. what that is right there. Right. There you go. We're fighters. Well, exactly. Okay? And, <laughs> right. And, you know, it's like I, I mean, I'm, I'm the same with my little boy and I'm like, mm-hmm. obviously I'm trying to, you know, always be better obviously I mean I you know don't want to completely raise him you know like all strict either because you can't I mean here's Mm -hmm. the thing I always say like of course I do not wish what I've been to on anybody is there certain attributes and characteristics that you do develop during adversity a hundred percent and they're very beneficial for you Mm -hmm. um but not everybody obviously is going to be able to go through war you know I mean I hope not right but you still have to I mean I do still want to teach my son I mean he's a first generation American Mm -hmm. And so I still want to, you know, teach him gratitude and appreciation and hard work and not giving up and working hard and not complaining. So, you know, sometimes mom is not his favorite, but (laughs) it just is what it is because I know when he's, you know, an adult, he's going to thank me. So that's okay. I'm all about, um, what do they call that? Um, delayed gratification. (laughs) Um, it's very true too, because they do come back and thank you. You know, like yeah, no. they, they do like all, yeah. of, all of my boys have come and circled back around and, you know, thank you for having a gym. Thank you for teaching me this. Thank you for this. And look at my gains right. because of you. And, you know, thank you for working out because right. it, you know, and it, it helped us work out or eating right. And so they're always watching and they will thank you. They are. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Just like, I mean, you know, my parents might've been strict, especially my dad, but I look at what he's been through and, mm-hmm. you know, would I have done the same? I probably would have. I mean, I... You know, it was it was very tough, but um, it, it just is it what it is. And I appreciate my parents so much again for I never you know felt hungry. I never necessarily felt unsafe. I mean, maybe there was just moments of questioning, like you know, because we did. I mean, there were times where we were sleeping and you hear the um, the bullets outside and the little rockets. They would send back and forth, shoot back and forth at each other, and so, um, but. Aside from that, aside from that, I mean, I can't say, you know, that I suffered necessarily so greatly. I mean, it's just what I've seen and the trauma in your head that you've seen. And of course, my dad telling all the stories from the concentration camp, but also myself reading books and educating myself of what happened in my country and et cetera. You know, so I think that's why my understanding for what we're facing today with immigration and, Mm -hmm. and all sorts of things. I just, I, I understand it and I get it. And I, it's not black and white. That's the thing. It's just not black and white. It's not, you know, let's close our borders and all these. I think as people, as a country, we can, but again, you know, this is all at the top, but still yeah. I think we, we have the power, we can vote, we can protest for good stuff. We can, you know, we can get involved in our communities, which is exactly what I've done. I've gotten involved in my own community in Boise, like I said, with the human rights center and you know working on projects it's all volunteer work but I I want to like 
as a person, I want to immerse myself in learning even more. I don't know everything about, you know, every other culture. I mean, I, but I want to learn and I want to connect with people because like I said, we are all people. We all want to live. We all want to be happy. We all want to feel safe. All of us. We all want to feel safe. We all want to have our freedom. Um, we all do. And so I, I want to connect with others. I want to understand others. I want to be sympathetic. And, you know, I, I, I just want to. Like, that's a choice I think that each one of us can make. And I'm making that because, you know, I, I feel like there's, aside that I can just be like, well, I've been what I've been through and I don't care. Work your way up. I don't care. Help yourself, you know, but, yeah. but I'm not, I don't, I yeah, don't, you have that empathy. You right. have that compassion. You, you have that personal well, experience to draw right. on and, and you, and you, I think that that helps you to understand the plight of somebody else's situation yeah. much, much more acutely than somebody that's never been well, through right. what you've been through. Yeah. Right. And I think there's a fine line between enabling someone, you know, just, you know, enabling someone to do what they're doing and, or just helping them. Right. So yeah. there is that line where you, I feel like as people, we need to help others when they need our help. We, we do like, we all are equal. We all are, like I said, people that want to live and be happy and um, we need to help each other. But you know, that doesn't mean enable, that just yeah. means help. We need to help. We need to make sure, because again, I am so grateful. I mean, in my own journey, well, that involves a lot of people helping us, right? So, um, if it, I mean, it's not like we all, I mean, yes, my parents worked and we are where we are because we all did work hard, but also there are people who helped us along the way. So, again, that is, you know, um, that was help. That wasn't enabling. I mean, we could have, you know, again, I could have been a victim and had a, an, ex I mean, heck, if anybody can have excuses, it's, let's say the immigrant families, but there's a lot of immigrant families in the U S that, you know, are excelling and doing the jobs that nobody would do, et cetera, et cetera. So when we look at that, it's like a lot of families come here because they want that American dream because, you know, a lot of people work here so that they can even send money back to their families. I mean, I still have, um, I still have family in Bosnia that we, you know, we help them out. Yeah. because they, you know, they weren't able to really go anywhere else. Like they were in Germany and then they went back. So, so I guess I do have someone, I, my aunt, who's my mom's sister, she, they lived in Germany, but they didn't really have anywhere else to go. So they had to go back to Bosnia mm. and it's very hard. It's very hard. And so we do help them out. We do, you know, send them care packages and help them in any way that we can. So I guess, yeah, we are a family who is also, you know, helping sending help back home to a family member. Yeah, I can't, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. I can't I can't help but think about your childhood and what you've been through and then contrast it relative to kind of weathering the whole situation that we're dealing with right now with the pandemic. I, f I feel like, you know, you, you were born out of fire and this is just a little, you know, this is, <laughs> yeah. this is like a match of adversity for you and your family, you know, like, right. so, so, you know, do you think that, that what you went through as a kid has enabled you to approach the situation that we're dealing with here in 2020, a pandemic, fires, BLM, immigration issues, et cetera, and, and just like treat it much more, lightly given what you have been through in other words it's not it's not this um huge amount of anxiety that i think some people take on not having the the type of experiences that you did as a kid right yeah i you know in the beginning it was very reminiscent of 
what I went through. So I was kind of like, oh my gosh, this is really strange. Especially when I was like, you go to the grocery stores and you know, there's like shelves that are cleaned out. So that was really weird. It was like eerie. I'm like, ooh, this is, I've experienced this before. This is really strange. Um, But also like, you know, and, and Dave really helped me in these moments too, because I have to be honest, a little bit of it did cause me a little bit of anxiety, but also it was kind of like, okay, like we're in this big country, like we're safe. Nobody's, you know, nobody's attacking us. Nobody's like trying to kill us. Mm -hmm. So we're good. Like we can still go, you know, so it really, it was kind of like walking myself through these steps. Like, okay, we can still go to the grocery store and get food. Um, right. I mean, some things were being sold out, but then it's like, we have a home We're we're safe. Nobody's like trying to get us or whatever. Right. Like, we don't have to like flee the country. Okay. Like it was a little bit of a process like, okay, just like actually looking at the facts. Right. So like, okay, this is, this is fine. Like it'll be okay. You know? So, um, I guess, you know, I understand like your question, like, okay, I've already been through this crazy thing and I'm totally good now. Like I'm fine. We're all going to be fine. Like we will, we're going to be okay. This is something that we need to work through. I mean, you know, it's not like this has never happened before. It's completely normal. It's a pandemic. It's a virus where people were human. Like there's a ton of bacteria and viruses that can come after us. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but also there was a little bit of that side of anxiety for me because of what you've and been it was through. Only because, yeah. of, because of what I've been through. And those, I, I told you in the beginning, when I stood on those steps, and was watching the adults being all crazy and packing up and talking about attacks and all that. And when I was thinking like, oh, this will be fine. And then it wasn't fine. Mm. So a little bit of that came back. I was like, oh my God. Cause you know, they were kind of like, it's going to be okay. And I was like, is it, you know, so yeah. there, there was a little bit. Of I don't think anybody would blame of, you for that. No. Right. So first couple of weeks was a little bit, especially because I mean, first of all, nobody knew what this virus was and what is it going to do? And, why are things being sold out? Are people planning for the world to end? What is going on? You know, like, so, and then after it kind of, you know, and it was actually, I mean, I had to do work too, right? Like, it's okay. Look at the facts. Look at this. Look at that, you know? So just like day in and day out, it is actually work like that you have to do yourself too. Um, And so again, I, again, very fortunate to have, to have Dave there to also help me through that and be like, okay, you need to look at the realistic things and and so and then it was just me reminding myself like okay I need to look at this I need to look at the facts it's gonna be okay don't look at the news and honestly we were so like it was so bad in the beginning because we were on the news all day because we didn't know what was going on yeah and then there came a time where we both were like you know what this is ridiculous we no we are not getting anything out of this and I stopped and you know what I'm in just such a better space right now I mean it is a little bit of that detoxing of just negativity, even negative people, negative friends, negative acquaintances. It really is. I have detoxed and continue to, to detox even my social media, my my circle, because it just it doesn't serve it doesn't serve me or anything. Um, There's no positive to benefit from it. Fear. There's yeah. no positive benefit. It just there just isn't. And when you look at the reality, it's like you know what we can we all. Here's the thing if I'm going to complain about it or spread a conspiracy theory about it, am I doing something about it or am I just spreading it? Well, most people are just spreading it. They're not. So what I've decided to do is I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to get involved in my community. And that's a very positive outlet for me and my energy and what I'm passionate about, which is right for everybody, right? Human rights. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so that's a very good outlet for me. And then just really surrounding myself with positive people, people who I follow. I mean, it's like when you look at it, you're in control of that. You can choose who you follow, who follows you. You can block people. You can delete people. You can unfollow people. Yeah. And I've, I mean, I'm taking that to heart and I'm taking that seriously and I'm doing it because I'm creating my life. Mm-hmm. So very well said. I like that a lot. Uh, as we close out the show, I just want to ask you a question because I, I ask a lot of guests that come on and I think somebody that's been through what you've been through has a unique perspective, but I want you to imagine somebody listening right now that's feeling anxious, that's feeling nervous, feeling worried, maybe fearful, maybe they're worried about their job, maybe they're worried about losing their house or cars, maybe they're worried about a health issue, you, you know, whatever the circumstance, there's a lot to be worried about right now. Based on what you've been through and, and what you've overcome and what you've survived, you know, what would your advice to that person be right now that might be able to lift them up and give them some hope? So I think definitely, you know, I, we all face adversity. I mean, even even though I've been through certain things, I mean, my life's far from perfect, obviously. But it's always about, okay, what am I able to do right now or control? And that's what I'm going to do. So always shifting your focus on what you can do in that moment. And that's where your energy should go is what can you do to help yourself, to ask for help, to seek help. And then everything that you can't control to just let go. Um, If you have faith, again, I'm not a religious person at all, but I do believe that, you know, there is a God, the universe, whatever you believe in there is, I do believe in something bigger than myself. And so just having that faith on, I'm going to do what I am able to do to the best of, you know, my abilities and everything else, I'm just going to let go because it will just work itself out. Right. So do what you can definitely surrounding yourself with the positivity and support. I would say it's very, very important, but it has to start within you. It has to start with you, you know, just instead of, like I said earlier, instead of feeding into the fear, reading the fear, let that go. What can you do about any situation? Right. I mean, cause being, you know, self-employed, I, I mean, again, this is why I'm a life coach, because I feel like I've experienced a lot of financial hardship, single mom hardship. Mm-hmm. But it's like, what can I control right now? And what can I do to help myself with a certain thing first? Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm going to do. Everything else I have to let go instead of worrying and stressing about it. And then never being afraid to accept help or ask for help. Mm-hmm. And always making sure that what you're surrounding yourself with is as positive as it can be, whatever that is, you know, following positive people, um, surrounding yourself with positive people as best as you can, but it all starts with you. Well said. Thank you so much, Adina. That was awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Thank Thank you for for your vulnerability and your story and, you know, your authenticity. It was, it was riveting. I mean, it really, it really was. It was a, it was a fascinating, um, window into yeah. a life that we would have no connection to or no mm-hmm. understanding of. And, and I, I'm grateful that I don't. And I'm so appreciative of what you've <laughs> weathered to be in the situation that you are and uh, be the person that you are. Yeah. You know, so thank, thank you so yeah, much thank you for guys. your story. Yeah, thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you, guys. Wow. That was incredible. So I know that you kind of knew her story beforehand, but I had no idea her story. So a lot of all that information was like new to me. Um, 
And it was just it just mind-blowing, right? Can you imagine yeah. yourself in that kind of a situation? As, as a mother and father, I immediately put myself mm-hmm. into their position. Yeah. Like her parents' position. Like mm-hmm. imagine having to corral your kids. I mean, she's talking about, you know, bullets coming through, you know, having to sleep on the floor because that's a lower place. So right. bullets came through the window. And I'm just like... As she was describing everything, I'm like, this is like a really bad movie. Yeah. You know, like you think but like it's life. It's, this it's, isn't a movie. Yeah, this but isn't it's a stuff joke. that we are grateful that we only see in movies. Yeah. And didn't actually live through it like she did. Like it just seems unreal to me. Yeah. Um, but wow, the strength of her mom. Yeah. Being a mom myself, like that to me was like, holy moly, like when you're stuck in a situation like that, like, wow, you're so strong. You have so much strength. You know what it made me think of is just the power of family because she talked mm-hmm. about, okay, we moved here. We went there with an aunt. We went here. Yeah. If that happened with us. Yeah. We don't have a lot of family. I know. We, 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 could go, we could go with grandma. We could go with my mom and that'd be about it. Right, right. <laughs> That's about our family. So we, we would have a limited network to draw upon. Yeah, Thank goodness sure. we have friends. I'm like, yeah, but you know what? We've, we've always said that our friends are our family. Yeah. And truly they've been more supportive than our family has ever been. So yeah. besides just, your mom. Yeah. But just understanding the 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 plight of an immigrant, mm-hmm. you know, just like I just couldn't help but just kind of come to this conclusion that, that that's the ultimate of homeless. Right. Not having a home, but not having a country to call home, not yeah. being welcome, not being right. able to go back and then going to some other country and not being welcome there. It's like, you feel like you're running all the time. Like yeah. there's no like peace. Her perspective really kind of solidified that for me, put me in a, in a mindset to, to be much more empathetic to that situation because yeah. you can only imagine what people have to do with when it's life or death, when it's just your family, like when you have to leave everything behind and mm-hmm. the only thing you have is the human connection to your family. Yeah, it's, that, yeah, it's crazy. powerful. Very really? Sad. She's strong. Her yeah. family's strong, her mom's strong, her dad's strong. Just an incredible situation. So I'm, I'm very appreciative. Well, you know what? She is strong and she's physically strong too. Yes. So. Yeah, you can connect with her. Adina Fit on Instagram mm-hmm. and she's uh, she's a trainer. She's a coach. So. She's an ULA life coach as well. So you can reach out to her on her Instagram if you ever want some life coaching. Yeah, that's about the seven Fs of ULA, balancing your life. It's about balancing your area. life in seven key areas. She's, Faith, family, Fitness, fun, field, friends, family. Yeah, she's definitely someone I would recommend to help you with life coaching. I might have gotten one of the Fs wrong, or I might have said one F twice. <sighs> say but it, you say get it the again. Idea. Say it again. Faith, okay. field, fitness, friends, fun, family. Finance. Finance. You, I should have remembered you, that. You always get the finance one wrong. Yeah, I'm trying to forget about that. Ex-financial advisor, he's like, <laughs> I don't even want to think try- about finances. I'm trying to move on from that side of my life. What you know? are finances? Yeah, exactly. But uh, thank you, Adina. Thank you for your story. Thank yes. you for your truth. It was awesome. Thank you. So if people want to hear more stories like Adina's, if they want to hear mm-hmm. more of our podcast, how can they dig in? and connect with us on a greater level. Well, they can reach out to us on Instagram and Facebook at Hope Radio Podcast. And we're anywhere you listen to your podcast. So iTunes, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spotify. Fly. Spotify. I just spotted a fly. <laughs> that was funny. That was my joke for the day. Yeah. My was a good second one. joke for the day. And it was not a food joke. So no. that was good. A fly. So wherever food. you consume podcasts. A fly is food. No. Yeah. No. How many times have you eaten a fly? Never. I'm sure I have. Really? Yeah, I've eaten eight spiders. What? That's what they told me. Who's they? 
some book that says in my lifetime I'm going to eat eight spiders while I'm sleeping. Well, I don't want to kiss you right now. I know. So don't that. you think you've, oh my gosh, we've eaten flies. No. Yeah. No. When we're like driving really fast, when we used to be on a motorcycle and drive really fast. And I've never had one come down my throat. I would remember that. Okay, gnats. <laughs> gnats maybe? I've gotten bugs in my mouth. I'm going to, uh, it's because I smile all the time. I'm always happy with my, I'm laughing and I'm talking too much. You're just giving me too much to think about when I kiss you. So you better stop. Protein. No. Yeah. I don't want that kind of protein. Well, sometimes you just don't know you get it. <laughs> <laughs> Never a more true statement in your life. All right, Jen. So people like and subscribe. They can follow us. They can give us a, a review on iTunes. Mm-hmm. We would very much appreciate that. And um, Five stars only. Five stars only. Yes. And I think we're ready for another podcast. Let's do this again tomorrow because it's kind of fun. I like hanging out with you. I like you know talking what? to new people. Let me check my calendar. I'm totally available. Here's a preview of Hope Radio Podcast, episode number 66. You're describing the human condition. There has always been something to be afraid of and something to hope for. It's always been that way. Uh, The details, the scenery changes, but the human experience is always the same. And the big question is, how do I feel calm? How do I stay resourceful? How do I create the kind of life that I enjoy living amongst the uncertainty, amongst all this worry and fear and stress of the unknown and it always comes back to understanding how your mind works and that you have the power and the ability to make yourself feel safe hopeful resourceful and successful so in this situation sean and jen you have a choice like everybody else we can hide under the bed and hope that things go away we can get angry and blame and point fingers or we can get resourceful and start focusing on what we can do to use the power of our mind to create our life by design.